Good morning and Boker Tov, and welcome back. It is another monumental morning as we resume living with Amuna in person after way, way, way too long of a break. And I learned yesterday from the Parshashir that it is categorical different to be learning with people in person, to see facial expressions, reactions, the energy, the electricity in the room of learning Torah together versus staring only at a camera. If you're listening online, we love you too, but find a way to be here. We have granola bars to make it worth your while. There you go. And that laugh is evidence I'm not alone in this room. There is no laugh track. So it is great to be back together again. Thank you. Make sure to tell a friend for next week. The Women's Living with Amuna Shear is uh, one of the highlights of the week for me because living with Amuna, we all need a reminder and we all need to be uplifted and we all need uh, to be recalibrated back to what we really already know which is that we didn't come to exist something from nothing. We weren't born out of nowhere. There's a creator, there's a God, he's by our side, he has expectations of us. And we live with Amuna, our life is so much better. Physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, we are much healthier, we have much more of a balance, much more of an equilibrium. And so we have to get together once a week, really every day and every morning and every evening to remind ourselves to live with that Amuna. but minimally we get together uh, in this frequency. I wanna thank our generous Amuna series sponsors for the year, Dr. Zavi and Bella Morgan, in memory of Rabbi Dr. Brian Galbit, who just had a grandson born this morning, Mazatov Sender and Yael, who had a baby boy this morning. Should have a lot of nachas, and his neshama should have an aliyah. And in memory of Bella's amazing mother, Dr. Ellen Shanzer of Elizabeth, New Jersey, who lived a life of great uh, emuna herself. So a lot of gratitude to the Morgans for sponsoring. This morning, she was also sponsored by Yvette Kablum in honor of the Hevra Kadisha volunteers. Thank you to the Kablum and our amazing Hevra by Mrs. Sylvia Brody in memory of her mother, Yetta Katz. Thank you so much. And Neshama Shav and Aliyah. Gil and Aaron Solomon in honor of their children, Tila, Rachel, and Akiva. And a Rafua Shlema for Avram Meir Ben Chaya Rachel having a procedure right now. We should hear only Besaras Tova's good news. Should have a complete Rafua Shlema. Uh, one housekeeping note before we dive back into living with Emuna, And that is, uh, as much as we're trying to build momentum, Baruch Hashem, I have to go to a wedding next week in New York, so I will not be here Wednesday morning. So next Wednesday, we're off. So we're starting again, a little teaser, a little appetizer, whet your appetite. And then I'm away next Wednesday. And then after that, please God, Bli Ayanara, smooth sailing through the winter Wednesday morning. There's also coffee available in the back freshly brewed Dunkin' Donuts, in addition to what you find at your seat. Okay, and with that, we begin. So what you have in front of you is a new section we've been learning. For those who are new to the Living with Amun Ashir, Wednesday mornings we get together, and our goal is to, um, to study something which is thought-provoking, which moves us, which jogs us, which makes us remember where we come from, to whom we report, and to be able to live a life of emuna, to not have to fear and to not have to feel with anxiety that we're going through life on our own, worried about what will be and what we're in control of and what we should regret and how guilty we should feel, but rather to recognize that everything that happens in our life is by design. Nothing is chance or random. Everything is coordinated, everything is curated from above. It is all from Hashem. And when we live that life with Amuna, then as we talked about, the results are unbelievable. So in the Living with Amuna Shira, I always tell people to share their Amuna stories with me so I can share them in Amuna Shira. And the backup that we haven't had Shira in a little while means I have some stories to share. So today I'm only gonna share one. And this is a wonderful email. I don't have permission to mention the person's name explicitly, so I won't. But she writes, one of the Amuna podcasts was mentioned, if anyone has a Amuna moment, we should share it. So I had one two days ago, and it might seem like a small one, maybe it is, but the long run, it's huge. 
Last month's Shabbos, I had an international flight departing at 9.30 p.m. Shabbos came out at around 7.15. Right after Havdal, my father took me to JFK, which is pretty close to where my family lives. I took that, I, I knew that I had a flight at 9.30. It was a bit risky. When I went to check in, the lines were long and moving slowly. But I had a, still had a good 40 minutes till boarding, which for most people would be like grounds for a heart attack. But this courageous young lady was like, 40 minutes, plenty of time. Fine. Besides for that, I noticed more Jews coming in the line after me, so I sure that I wasn't the only one taking risky that night. I checked in the suitcases, headed to security. Uh, it was 8.25 and the flight was boarding at 8.30. <laughs> I honestly felt calm. The security line was pretty long, but there was a couple behind me started counting how many people were in line in front of them, calculating which line was the fastest. They seemed a bit antsy. I started talking to them. They weren't on the 9.30. They were on the 10 p.m. flight. Assuming that they were totally fine. They laughed and said they just like to be early. When they found that my flight started boarding five minutes ago, they asked how I was so calm. And here we get to the punchline. I naturally answered, stressing out won't help the situation. And if I'm meant to be on that flight, I'll be on that flight. Long story short, security took a while. Once I got out of security, I was reminded of how far the gates were. Baruch Hashem, I got on the flight. Thinking about it, I really was calm and felt really cool. I kept thinking, if Hashem wants me to be on the flight, I'll be on the flight. And if not, I'm not meant to be on this particular flight. It may not seem like a big deal, maybe it's not, but thinking back to the situation, while listening to your shir made me smile, letting go and showing Hashem that we know he is the one running the show is a gift. Emuna is a gift. Don't know where I would be without it right now. And the airport story is the smallest of all of them. Keeping calm without even realizing it. We're so lucky to have our father taking care of us, even if the times aren't clear, but we know it's up to him, only Hashem. So it's an example. We all have these small examples in our life, but... She made the flight, so she could have either made the flight and lost years of her life of worry and anxiety and sweating and high blood pressure and angst, and if she was with someone, maybe a spouse, they would have been in a fight, not talking the entire flight, blaming who, why they left late and they have to get more on time next time. Instead, she was calm because living with Emuna does that to you. So it's a challenge. It's a challenge to remember to live with Emuna. That's the problem. That's what we meet regularly and need to meet more regularly. So what we have in front of you is a new excerpt. We had been learning We're going to pivot and we are now learning a little bit from a new sefer that came out. It's called Ha'aros and are the teachings of Rav Shlomo Volba. Rav Shlomo Volba Zatzal was a great mashkiach of Yerushalayim. Shlomo Volba was a great tzaddik. Shlomo Volba has an extraordinary life story, a journey towards observant Judaism himself. And... Uh, We've learned many, many of his teachings together, including the woman Shira on Simchas Torah. We talked about his essay on Savlanus, on patience, which we got like one paragraph in and need to continue it. I'm trying to be patient with it. Um, so this is a new sefer that came out from one of his Tamid and one of his students. And it is some of his teachings on a collection of topics. And there's several essays on his teachings on Emuna. And I thought this would be a wonderful thing for us to dive into, for us to dive into together. So page Pei Gimel, that it is. It's of Shlomo Volba, the great Mashkiach. And he begins the following. He says, I got a letter from a educator, a teacher in Israel, in the south of Israel. I'll translate everything, so don't worry if you don't understand the Hebrew. And he wondered and he said, what do we do? What happens in our schools, in our Jewish day schools, in our chadarim, in whatever the nature of that school is? The teacher steps out for a minute. Teacher steps out. When I went to high school, I had a Rebbe. There was a payphone next to the classroom. And the Rebbe, you know, when you're on a Rebbe's salary, you know, you got to supplement your salary. So he used to trade stocks. So in the middle of class, he would once in a while go out 
In those days, you couldn't check what the stock price was. There was no such thing as a smartphone, a dumb phone, a flip phone. So he had a pay phone. He would get calls and make calls because he was trading stocks while teaching. Eventually, they moved his shear room away from the pay phone was the way that we were able to get his attention. He was a wonderful, a wonderful Gemara Rebbe. In any case, a Rebbe needs to supplement. So the Rebbe steps out. Maybe the Rebbe's trading stocks. Maybe there's an emergency. The Rebbe leaves the students still uh, davening. But what happens? When the Rebbe steps out, when the Moro steps out, Kids are kids. What do they do? So the sitter doesn't speak to them. What are these words? They don't know how to translate them. They don't know what it means. They don't know what's going on. So the teacher steps out. The cat's away. The mice will play. Teacher steps out, trades a stock, and the kids close the sitter, and they start playing around. So the teacher wants to know from Revolba, the great mashkiach, what can I do? What should we do? How can we inspire students? How do we inspire these children to stay connected, not only when the parent, not only when the teacher is watching, but even when they step away? Says Revolba, and we've tried to bang home this message over and over. I'm trying to bang it home to myself and my family and all of us. The challenge and the struggle that we all have in davening, and I say we all, is we all. On Simcha's Torah, we had an Ask the Rabbi, short one between Mincha and Marav, a little live behind the bima with Rabbi Moskowitz, Rabbi Brody, and myself. And that was one of the questions. What area in Avodah Hashem do you struggle? Each of, our rab- each of the rabbis. And all of us essentially answered, like everyone else we know, davening. It's hard. It's hard. It's long. It's repetitive and redundant. We're speaking in a language which is not our first language and parts that are very poetic Hebrew and not necessarily accessible or relatable. I teach sitter snippets. I can't tell you how often I'm embarrassed in the halalukas after ashray. I'm like, what does this sentence mean? Didn't I give like two weeks of sitter snippets on it? And I don't remember what it means. A year, a couple years later, I try to go back and take a look. Davening is really, really hard. So what's the answer? What's the antidote? How do we fix it? What's the repair for our students and for ourselves? So that davening is not a chore and davening is not a burden and davening is not something we're counting the pages until we're done, but davening is something we love. It's a conversation. It's a rendezvous. It's an opportunity to have coffee with the Almighty, to be in conversation. It's an opportunity to connect. The answer is emuna. You see, a challenge in davening, says Ravolbe, is the symptom, not the disease. The disease and the core problem is a lack or a failure in emuna. In faith. If we really knew that God existed, if we really believed and we submitted and surrendered to Him, if we were grateful, if we saw Him throughout our day and throughout our lives, then we would want to talk to Him all the time. When there's someone you love, you want to spend time, you want to talk to Him, you want to be in conversation. We know the core of any healthy relationship is communication is communication. Whether you're preparing the chasan and kala for marriage or marriage counseling later in life, often at the very core of the breakdown or the challenge, the friction in marriage, in friendship, parents and children, colleagues, is a failure to communicate. There's not dedicating time to be together and they're not dedicating time to confide, to be good listeners, to have conversations, to exchange, to connect. So davening is our conversation. Davening is when I have confidence and trust and confide when I make myself vulnerable, when I talk to Hashem. Davening is the recognition. I try to every morning in my davening, I think what is coming up during that day and how will I need His help. Hashem, we're doing the Amunashir, first time back in person. Let's hope the coffee makes it. Let's hope the technology works. Let's hope anybody shows up. Let's hope everything goes smoothly. I have a big meeting this afternoon. Hashem, I really hope it goes well. Put the right words in my mouth. Let the outcome be one which works well for all of us. If you're in conversation, then davening is not something that you resist and it's not something you resent, and it's not something that you want to be over, it's something that you look forward to, you count down to, you're excited about.
So that's true for ourselves, all the more so for our children. If a child has trouble talking to God, it's because maybe they have no relationship with God. Maybe they don't believe there is a God. Maybe nobody's taken the time to talk to them. How do we know there's a Hashem? And where and when and how do we feel Him in our life? And in what ways does He speak to us? And why is there value and benefit in reporting to Him? What does it mean? What does it mean? Davening is not just rambling some script. We're not just getting through it so we can put a check mark. We read the script. Close the book, close the script. We finish the script, we'll open it again tomorrow. And then our script gets worn out. And we're so proud my script is all worn out because I keep saying the script. It's not a script that we recite or repeat. It's a conversation that we're having. And the davening is the template for the conversation, but we have to fill in between the lines. If you don't make davening personal, you haven't davened. You haven't davened. We're not supposed to make tefillah keva, kva. Chazal tells us you can't make your davening permanent or established. It's got to fluctuate and be fluid. It's got to be introduced with new things every day. Are any of us the same person the same day? Every single day of our life that we wake up, we're a new person. We wake up on a different side of the bed. We got a different amount of sleep the night before. We wake up to a new day with new challenges and new, and new issues, but also new opportunities and new blessings and invitations. No two days are the same in our lives. Go even further. No two davenings are the same. Have you ever been the same person by the time you got to Mincha at the end of the day that you were at Shacharis that morning? Did any day go the way you thought it would go? Sometimes the day goes better than you thought it would go. I read late last night that someone in Boca Raton won the lottery twice this week. In Boca Raton. Won two $1 million lottery tickets in Boca this week. And if you're in this room, please, right now, make yourself known and make a nice donation to the Boca Raton Synagogue. So, right, and I'm like, why don't I go? And by the way, what was the location? A gas station on Camino Real. If you're in this room right now, make yourself known. So when that person woke up that morning and davened, their, day at the, their davening at the end of the day is a very different davening than the beginning of the day. But God forbid a loved one is rushed to the hospital, is rushed into a procedure. You got news that wasn't so good. You got back a diagnosis that means it'll be a long road. And please God, a healthy one and a full recovery. The davening at the end of that day is very different than the davening that morning. Not only are no two days the same, no two moments within the day are the same. And there are conversations that need to happen. So a davening, which looks exactly the same, we deposit the same Shemona Esrei Tashem. Imagine you're 80 years old and you're saying the same Shemona Esrei. Same Shemona Esrei. How do I know that? Because I've been here for 23 years. And there's people in the shul who their Shemona Esrei is the exact same amount of time from when I got here 23 years ago and today. Every single day, three times a day. How do I know that? Most of you don't daven with a minion regularly, but days like today, Rosh Chodesh. Every shul has its cast of characters. And one of the characters, I wrote an article that I did not print about this, who I missed during Corona when the shul was shut down. It was all the characters of a shul that during Corona I really missed. And this was one of them. There's that guy who wants everyone to remember Yalav Yavor Alanisim. So while the rest of us are up to Magain Avraham, they yell out, Yalav Yavor Alanisim. You know, they fly through Shemona Esrei, so they're doing a great service to the rest of the community, taking one for the team. They're yelling out and letting everyone to know. So, like, you're up to Gal Yisrael, and they're screaming, Mashi Baruch Geshem. So there's that guy. There's, I don't know if that woman exists in the women's section, but there's that guy in every <laughs> single, in every single men's section. So that guy has been dominating the same length Shemona Esrei from his bar mitzvah till his 99th birthday. 
There's nothing new or introduced. There's nothing fluid about it. It's not a reflection of his life or what's going on or what he needs. There's nothing different. It is the same Shemun Esrei. You can time it. You can time it. It's, you know, one minute, 70, one minute 42 seconds, whatever it is. So our Shemun Esrei should fluctuate. There are days that I'm connected, I'm plugged in. There's a long Amida. I'm lost in it. The words are moving me. I'm meditating, I'm reflecting. There's a phrase that catches me and I marinate in it for a little bit. There are days that every bracha I have something to talk to God about. In, in Atachone, and I'm working on a shir Hashem. Give me some good source material. Rifa'inu, there's people I'm... Baruch Aleinu, stocks. Could use them having a little uh, market spin down. Every bracha, every bracha. And there are other days that you're not connected. It's just not working. It's just a slow Wi-Fi day with God. You're just not plugged in. So it's different every single day. And a davening which looks exactly the same every day, every week, every month, every year of your life, is probably means you've never davened yet. So the davening, the sitter is the template. I've given the mashal a million times, it's a million and one. It's like the hallmark or American greetings, Hensha's listening from Israel. Hensha, I hope you're doing fantastic in Israel. So we'll go with American greetings. It's the American greetings, her father's company. It's the American greetings uh, card that you give on Mother's Day or a birthday or an anniversary. Imagine you go buy the card and you hand the card and there's nothing in it. The recipient of that card is gonna probably throw it back at you. You say, what do you mean? I made it to CVS, I made it to Publix, I got you a card. I say, yeah, the card's nice. You didn't write anything in it. You didn't double underline any of the special words in it. You didn't figure out where there was space with an arrow and now go to the back and now go to the front and now go upside down and now go. You just handed a blank card. So the Bono Shalom says, you said the words of the city, you just handed me a blank card. On the other hand, you take out a napkin and you write, dear, I love you and my life would be empty without you and you're the best thing that ever happened to me. And you hand it over, this is a really nice sentiment that really moves me. Where's the card? Where's the card? So the Bono Shalom wants us every day to hand him a card called our davening and to fill in between the lines to write our personal and personalized message to him. And when we don't, we've given him a static, fixed tefillah, kva, keva, as opposed to one which is fluid, as opposed to one which reflects the changing life that we have. So this is Revolba's point. This is not easy to teach children. To teach a child, you're davening the day of your soccer game, it's not the same as the davening as the day of your test, it's not the day the same as the davening when your grandfather went into surgery, it's not the same as the davening when you have a new niece who is born, it's not the same as the davening that it's the last day of school and you're so grateful. How do we teach our children? It's difficult. He's invisible. You can't smell him, you can't feel him, you can't touch him. So it's very hard to connect with him. How? How? You know, we used to talk on the phone, so we were talking to something invisible, but there was a voice on the other end. But now even that's not good enough, we FaceTime with everyone or we WhatsApp video with everyone. We're literally seeing the people that we're talking to. They could be 6,000 miles away. We're living in an enormously, incredibly blessed time. And Monday for six hours, we were all reminded of that. When we reached for some of that technology and it wasn't available, we were all silenced and distanced even more. So Hashem, who you can't FaceTime with, can't WhatsApp video with, doesn't answer back, there's no voice, so there's not even heavy breathing on the other end. So it's really, really difficult. It's really challenging. It's really, really hard. So where does it come from? It comes with Amuna. In other words, if you never talk to Hashem when you're not davening, then you're never gonna be able to talk to Him when you are davening. If you never ever talk to Hashem outside of davening, then you're gonna struggle to connect talking to Him when you are in davening. It's just not gonna happen. What do I mean talking to Him outside of davening? 
talking to him when you're driving to the airport and when you're online in security. You don't lose your calm, you keep cool, and you daven. Davening to Hashem before a test, davening to Hashem before a big business deal, davening to Hashem when you put the potato kugel in the oven. Davening to Hashem that the challah rise and that it all work out perfectly and that it not overcook and undercook and it all come out exactly right. Davening to Hashem that the calendar not look the way it did for Sukkot for a very long time, on again, off again, yantif, stopping, cooking up drushes, cooking up challahs, cooking up meals. Whatever your davening is, davening to Him. So the majority of our davening should be outside of davening. The majority of our talking to Hashem should be outside of davening. Why did Hashem tell us we have to daven? To make sure we do it. To make sure that we actually do it. Because often life gets in the way. So I love the way Revolba, and this classic Revolba, pivots away from the emphasis on the children. Don't blame the children. Don't criticize the children. Don't shame the children. These children who their Rebbe or their Mora steps out to trade their stocks, this, uh, it's amazing that that happened and that wasn't shut down when I think about it. But anyway, this, uh, these children whose teacher steps out and they start talking to one another, the children aren't to blame, the children aren't at fault. Are we any different? Are we any different? The typical shul, nobody has to step out and we start talking in the middle of davening. Nobody takes a time out. The authority is not outside the room and we talk in the middle of davening. So we're going to blame our children that they talk when the Rebbe steps out of the room? So let's stop talking about the children. Let's start talking about ourselves. And the answer for ourselves is emuna. A challenge to connect in davening is not about davening. Of course it's about davening. Study the sitter, learn the sipper, sign up for sitter snippets, or some other safer or learning opportunity to understand the words, to invest in learning the sitter like a safer. Of course it's about davening, but it's not about davening. It's not about davening. If you don't have a moon, if you don't have faith, if you don't believe, if you don't connect, if you don't attach, if you don't submit, if you don't surrender, if you don't feel his presence throughout your entire day and throughout your entire life, how in the world are you going to talk to him? Of course you're not going to be able to talk to him. Is our moon, is our faith so clear? Is it so vibrant? Is it so alive? Is it so dynamic? Is it so electric? So where it reveals itself that there's a virus, the virus is most pronounced in our davening and in the brachos, our davening is most pronounced when we don't feel like doing a mitzvah or in our failure to learn Torah. How connected, how plugged in, how high speed is our Wi-Fi connection to Hashem? What do our children, our grandchildren, or our neighbor's children see in us in shul, at home? When we're making a bracha before or after eating food, is it calm and is it patient? And is there the inestimable value of a bracha? Are we using it as a point of connection, as a bid to connect to God, as a moment of recognition, as a moment of gratitude, as an exercise in humility? It's a millisecond, a fraction of a second. What do they see in us? And then are we surprised that they don't make brachas? You see parents snap at their children. You need to make a bracha. Make a bracha. Don't go anywhere. You didn't bench. How come you never bench? While the parent is clearing the table while they're benching, hand signaling or actually talking in the middle of their benching, not benching from a bencher and benching in a, benching in a record time. But then the kid, we don't understand why they skip benching. Why they don't understand that benching is a bracha and an opportunity and a chance. We're on Gimel, paragraph three. King David, we had a mea brachas party. If you remember, maybe we'll have another one. A mea brachas party. David HaMelech established that we have to say 100 brachas a day. 100 brachas a day. 100 brachas a day. So there are 19 brachas in Shemona Esrei, times three is a really good head start. 
Ashkenazi digestive system, you're well on your way to 100 brachas a day. Ashiyatzer. And the various other brachas. You live in Florida in the summer, you get in a couple lightning, a couple thunder. You add it all up, you're going to get to your 100 brachas a day. 100 brachas a day. You have to be conscientious and conscious. And the young man who sent me the Mayor Brachas cards, still working on a shidduch. We're going to get him married. We're going to celebrate. Those of you who've been with us since then, when we learned Mea Brachas, and he sent cards with paper clips to count the 100 brachas a day. I don't know yet if someone has an app for that. The Mea Brachas app counter, 100 brachas a day. Why? Why did David HaMelech say make 100 brachas a day? A burden to slow us down, to make us religious and fafrumt and move the community to the right. Why did David HaMelech establish making 100 brachas a day? Why? Because David HaMelech said, we're living in an increasingly chaotic world. You're increasingly preoccupied and distracted. And a hundred times a day, we've got to pause and just remember that there's someone above. A hundred times a day. I think the last time I told this, like a best of a munashir, because after a long break, I'm reviewing a lot of things we said before. I apologize if you've heard it before, but it bears repeating for me at least. I don't know if for you. So, you know, a great therapist who I admire made a great point that it used to be that people, a husband and wife, said goodbye in the morning. And then they spoke again at the end of the day and didn't necessarily connect much in between. You were at work. It wasn't appropriate to have long personal phone calls at work. There wasn't the ability to have long phone calls at work. So they said goodbye in the morning and you caught up at night when you got home and there was no way to converse on the drive because there was no such thing as a cell phone and so on. But today, today we're living in a world of temptation and desire. Today there are opportunities and invitations to act out and to be um, unfaithful. It's a very, very challenging world. And whatever exists in the greater world exists in the Torah community, the Orthodox community, and I promise you every single segment of it. I can promise you. Conversation with my colleagues, there are enormous challenges in this area. So it's not enough to say hello, goodbye in the morning, and hello again when you come home for dinner. A hundred times a day, you have to text your spouse, check in, a conversation. It's a reminder. When you're sitting at work, when you're in that work meeting, or the colleague asks you to go out for a drink or coffee or lunch, when there are those opportunities and invitations and challenges of technology in general and real life people in particular, it's good to have an anchor and remember that you are married and accountable and have responsibility and obligation 100 times a day. The therapist didn't say 100 times a day, but meaning those texts and those check-ins and those short conversation and those bid for connection, they're not a luxury in today's day and age. They are a healthy necessity for protecting and preserving marriage. Now you'll say, really? Does a marriage need that? If you don't check in 100 times a day, if you don't check in 10 times a day, if all you do is say goodbye in the morning and hello at night, Everyone's going to run around and be unfaithful? Of course not. However, that relationship, investing in that relationship, nourishing that relationship, often through the day, will be very healthy to build up that relationship so it's fortified and protected from the challenges that it will face. And I apply the same thing to Amuna, the distractions that we live with. If you lived, if you were Tevya and you lived in the barn and all day you're talking to God while you're flipping the bale of hay and milking the cows, okay, so the check-ins with Hashem, how much do you need? But today we're running around and we are so distracted by the world in which we're living and the fast pace of life that a hundred times a day you got to stop and say, oh, that's right, there's a creator. Oh, that's right, I'm accountable to him. Oh, that's right, he's by my side. Oh, that's right, he has expectations of me. Oh, that's right, I'm so grateful to him. That's right. And how long are those check-ins? This could be a suicide mission, but a lot shorter than the check-in with your spouse. The check-in with God, that bracha, is a millisecond. Is a, I love talking to you, I'm just joking. It's a fraction of a second. The check-in with the spouse is a lot longer than a shahakol, is my point. The shahakol, the bar so the alamichya, or the ashayatzar, is a fraction of a second. Those check-ins are very 
are very, very short. Are very short. So David Melch said a hundred times that they stop and talk to God. Because then you're going to remember while you're in the middle of that business deal, while you're in the middle of that workout, while you're in the middle of that shopping trip, while you're in the middle of that parent-teacher conference, while you're in the middle of that whatever you're doing. Imagine you're at a parent-teacher conference and you're taking a sip of your water. But you take the millisecond, you say just one second, you make a bracha. Now in the middle of your parent-teacher conference, you just remember that there's another parent in the room with you. And his name is God. He's the third partner in the creation of every person. And now you've just transformed your entire parent-teacher conference because Hashem is part of that conversation. He's part of that meeting as well. And what jogged you, what triggered you, what provoked you to do that? Because you made a shahakal that took a millisecond. Could you begin to imagine if a hundred, if one day, if for one day we concentrated fully, if for one day we allowed ourselves to be transformed, if for one day we were mindful of those hundred brachos, we would be categorically different people at the end of that day. We'd just be totally and absolutely and categorically different people at the end of that day. Says Ravolba, something astounding. If actually we could reach a level of mindfulness for one day, for one day, for a hundred brachas to be present when we said them, we might become a prophet. You might be merit, divine inspiration. You might be in conversation with God. You'd break through such a ceiling. But what do we do? We dispose of, we dismiss, we, we, we just deposit a bracha. We mumble the shahakal. We mumble the, the mizonos. We mumble the ashayatzar. We mumble the ashayatzar. Ashayatzar in particular, we say while we're walking out of the bathroom and already checking the text on the phone and already moving on to the next thing. And as has been said, ashayatzar is not tefilas aderach. Ashayatza should not be said while you're walking or moving. If you walk away with no other commitment from today, it's a pledge and a promise for 30 days to stand still when saying Ashayatza. I'm still trying to do it. A friend of mine challenged me to it a couple of years ago. I'm still trying to do it every time. You start taking those three steps. You start looking at your phone. You say, no, no, no. I'm just going to stand still. Ashayatza. That all the plumbing and all the pipes and everything's working. That my body, which is one of the most sophisticated factories that was ever designed and created, is absorbing the nutrients it needs and getting rid of the rest, and it's all working right, that's worth a millisecond. That's worth a moment in time. I hate masks, but one of the few brachas of wearing that mask in public was you could take your time with an ashayatza outside the bathroom, and nobody knew. In an airport, in the store, wherever you were, at least one benefit of the mask was you could say ashayatza for as long as you want, and you don't have to figure out you know, how to, how to pull that off without looking like a total weirdo. So Asha Yatzar, it's worth it. It's worth it. A hundred brachas a day. But we, we deposit it. We throw it away. We get rid of it. And why do we do that? Why do we do that? The, the person, I don't know why I'm saying woman. Maybe the article said woman. But the person who won the $2 million, the two $1 million lottery tickets in Boca Raton, two minutes from here this week, I'll find him. Because <laughs> trust me, the Chabad rabbis in town are looking for him. So I'll find him. So, you know, that person, they won the lottery. I promise you they paused that day and maybe every day for a little while to say, wow, thank you, I won the lottery. You think someone had to go up to them and say, as they deposit the $2 million check, don't forget to be grateful. Nobody had to remind them be grateful. Nobody had to tell them dwell on thank you for a moment. They understood it. They understood it. You know, somebody survives an operation, a doctor saves their life. I would hope, I would hope, Alana, I don't know, tell me if it happens or it doesn't. I would hope a doctor, a surgeon saves someone's life. They are eternally and forever grateful. 
they should send a gift every year on the anniversary of their life being saved. Save their life. If you were in a terrible car accident on the side of the road and somebody pulled you from the wreckage, did CPR, brought you back to life, would you not do anything in the world for them? So what about the one who gave us life? If that's what you do for the person who saved your life, what about the one who gives us life and sustains our life and saves our life every moment of every day? Is he not worth a thank you? Why do we need to be propelled and why do we need to be encouraged and why do we need to be reminded? Why do we need to be reminded? We're not living with that, with that reality, with that feeling. That everything in the world, it all belongs to God. I'm not entitled to it. It doesn't belong to me. It's not coming. It is a gift from above. It's on loan and it can be taken back anytime. The problem is that we are creatures of habit. So we're saying the same brachas in the same way that we've always been saying them. Or we're omitting the same brachas that we've never said. And we're saying at the same pace that we always did. And we need to break out of those habits. We need to unshackle ourselves. We need to set ourselves free by creating new habits and positive habits. Being a creature of habit is not necessarily a bad thing. It's only a bad thing if you have bad habits. If you have the habit of exercising and eating right and getting enough sleep, if you have the habit of standing still when you say Asher then it's a blessing that we're creatures of habits. Habits are not bad. It's just a matter of having, having the right ones. So can't we train ourselves to have the habit to stand still for Asher Have the habit to be mindful and focused for one moment for a Shahakol, for a Shahakol. You know what the gift of one bracha, the gift of one opportunity to say thank you, Believe it or not, we are already over time for today. Time flies when you're in person and have granola bars and you're making up for things. So I'll end by telling you a story. I'll end by telling you a story, another story. And we'll get back to this. Again, no shear next week. We resume in two weeks and please God smooth sailing from there. If you want to stay alerted of when we have shear and if we're going to miss it, first of all, it'll be in the weekly. It'll be the website has a calendar, our new website as an amazing calendar that you can click on any class and it gives you an option to add it to your calendar. Outlook, Google, whatever calendar system you use. So whatever classes or programs or anything going on at Bogarton Synagogue that you want to make sure not to miss and add to your own personal calendar from the Shul website, now you can add it. So that'll be the best way to be alerted. So we'll pick up with Revolba next time. In Yerushalayim over 100 years ago, there was an old widow that Rabbi Yeshua Leib Diskin used to visit. She was very sick. And among her sick, the breakdown of her body, she couldn't control her bodily functions. And she had a colostomy bag. She was attached to all kinds of uh, catheter bags, all kinds of things, because her digestive system was no longer working. She was unable to say brachas on food. Because in those days, if a person was connected to those uh, things, the odor that was present was such that precluded making a bracha in the presence of what was, that bag was filled with. So despite her difficulties, she would ask Rav Diskin to, pay, to daven for her. Yeshua Leib Diskin, a great tzaddik of Yerushalayim over 100 years ago. And she would say, daven for me. So he would say, he once asked her, tell me something. Why do you have such a burning desire to continue living? You, you can't even say brachas. So your, your life is so compromised, you're asking for longevity to stay in this state. Why? So listen to what this older woman, this old widow who was all alone in this world, what she said to him, why she wanted to continue to live. She said, Rebbe, once a day, a nurse comes to clean me up. And before the machines start working again, I quickly take a glass of water and I bake a bracha shakol niyeh bidvaro, that everything that came into existence is from God, is used from His Word. And she said, for that one bracha is why I want to continue living. The once a day that the bag's being cleaned and being replaced, and therefore I quickly can grab a cup of water and make a bracha, for that one bracha I could say every day, I want to be able to continue to live for many more years to come. 
So we can make a hundred brachas a day. We can make a million brachas a day. To be mindful, to be present, to take that opportunity, that bid for connection, to attach ourselves to Him and to be mindful what a gift it is to be here. What a gift it is. How many of us know this last two years haven't taught us anything, how much we can't take for granted, what a gift it is to be here, what a gift it is to be able to breathe freely and easily, what a gift it is to be able to smell. Anyone who had corona, I think I'm the only one in my immediate family who's not had it. Who else didn't have it? Yechavit recently, Baruch Hashem, was healthy but lost smell and taste. If you lost your smell and have recovered it, how could you ever make a Borei Menei Besamim again the same way? By the way, that's not just a Havdalah Bracha. You know, we have certain things that we think are only, like people think you're only supposed to dip bread and salt on Shabbos. That's an all week long thing. You only mark the challah before the Hamotzi on Shabbos. That's a whole week long thing. You know, Borei Menei Besamim is not just a Havdalah thing. If you smell a beautiful fragrance, Sfardim used to have it here before Corona. They had a plate that had several different types of spices because there are different brachas. There are all kinds of different brachas depending on what the, where the fragrance is coming from. You make a different bracha and they had it in this room because the people when they came to Daven every day would make the different brachas and take in the beautiful fragrance. If you lost that sense of smell, if you lost the sense of taste, how do you ever make a shakal, a mazonos, a hamotzi, a boy creates again. If you could taste the sweetness of an apple, an orange, of a mango again, when there was a period in time where you tasted nothing, the bracha should be different than it ever was, than it ever was. So these brachas are opportunities to express our gratitude, to remind ourselves what we should not take for granted, and to be connected to Him so that when we get stuck online in security, and the flight boarded five minutes ago, like the wonderful author of our letter, we don't have to lose our, lose our cool either. Thank you to our generous sponsors. There's more coffee in the back. Feel free to take your granola bar with you. If you're listening and watching online, make your way in here. We'd love to have everybody in person. Until next time, stay happy, stay healthy, and stay holy.